I begin this morning with a story of an old man who was casually walking along a country road with his dog and his donkey when suddenly a speeding pickup truck careened around the corner, knocking the man, his donkey, and his dog into a ditch. He was hurt, and so this old man decided to sue the driver of this truck, seeking to recoup the cost of damages as well as his medical treatment. And so this case went to trial, and they put this old man on the stand And as he was on the stand, the counsel for the defense cross-examined the man by asking a simple question of him. Sir, I want you to answer with a simple yes or no to the following question. Did you or did you not say at the time of the accident that you were perfectly fine? The man said, well... Me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road to which the counsel for the defense said, Stop, stop. I asked you, tell me simply yes or no. Did you say at the time of the accident that you were perfectly fine? Well, me and my dog and my donkey are walking along the road and and the defense attorney appealed to the judge, Your Honor, this man is not answering the question. Would you please insist that he answered the question. The judge said to the lawyer, well, he obviously wants to tell us something. Well, let him speak. So the man said, well, your honor, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road and this truck came around the corner far too fast, knocking us all into the ditch. The driver of the truck stopped and he got out of his truck and he noticed that my dog was badly injured. And so he went back to his truck and he got his rifle and he shot my dog, perhaps to put it out of its misery. Then he saw that my mule had broken its leg, unrepairable, and so he shot the mule. Then he came over to me and he said, how are you? And I looked up at the man carrying a rifle and I said to him, I'm perfectly fine. Sometimes we have to listen to the entirety of the story to make sure we get the complete picture. It is often because of perhaps our own personal agenda that we are selective listeners, or perhaps we are not careful in what we hear, or perhaps we simply do not listen, that often gets us into lots of trouble to make wrong decisions and even mistakes. And yet God in His Word is very clear to the Scriptures. He tells us exactly what we are to listen to and to obey. In fact, before the very completion of the Word of God, He sent prophets to bring forth His Word so that it would be very clear what the people needed to know and to listen to. In the present day, with the scriptures already completed, he calls present-day teachers of the word in the person of spiritual leaders, pastors, even parents, to tell us what the word of God says so that we can listen to the entirety of what God expects of our lives so that we can obey. 
But it is because we do not listen or listen selectively to the filters of our own ears that we often get ourselves into trouble and fall into the pitfall of not listening. As we continue our sermon series this morning, we continue talking about the ninth pitfall, the pitfall of not listening in the series entitled Kings and Kingdoms. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 33 as we take a look at the life of King Manasseh. Second Chronicles chapter 33 verses 1 to 20 looking at the life of King Manasseh. Listen as I read from Second Chronicles chapter 33 verses 1 and 2. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. If you remember from two weeks ago, Manasseh's father, King Hezekiah, had brought to the country a great spiritual revival. He had brought spiritual reform to the country of Judah. And yet his son Manasseh did not carry out and carry on those spiritual reforms. In fact, he rejected all of the spiritual reforms his godly father had put in place. In fact, if you were to read verses 3 to 5, you will find out that he rebuilds the altars to the false Canaanite deities in the high places around the country which his father Hezekiah had taken down. He defiled the temple of God. He set up false Altars all around the temple courtyards, even inside the temple of God. Not only that, take a look at verse 6. He also caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnon. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him. To anger. He did all the things that the Bible at that time was very clear said that God considered it an abomination. He hated those things. No wonder God was very angry because of all the evil that Manasseh had done. Look at verse 9. So Manasseh seduced Judah. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh was such a wicked king that it is said that he led the country to do more evil than all the pagan nations before that God had destroyed because of their wickedness. What the chronicler is trying to say is that Manasseh deserves to be punished by God. And yet God was patient. And God showed grace and mercy to a people he was in a covenanted relationship with. And God sent prophet after prophet, messenger after messenger, to call this king and to call his people to repent and to return to him. But what was their reaction to these prophets? Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people... 
but they would not listen. Would you circle that phrase in your Bibles? They would not listen. I have in my Bible to the side my own scribbles. I wrote under that phrase, I do this all the time. The Lord spoke to me and I would not listen. It was a willful action on their part not to listen. They chose not to listen to the word of the Lord. What this verse does is that this verse places the responsibility and the fault squarely on the people, not on God. You see, it would be God's fault, in a sense, if He never sent prophets to correct their wrongs. If He never told them what He expected from them, what was right or what was wrong. But He does. And so therefore, it is their fault they did not listen and therefore, they are responsible for the consequences that will soon come. For many of us, we think, yes, exactly, Pastor. Why are you telling me what I already know? If they are told something and they don't do it, then they are responsible for not listening. Well, it's not always the case. You know, the church often announces something week after week after week after week. And you choose not to pay attention or to remember. So I ask you the question, whose fault is it? If the church never announced anything, then it would be the church's fault. But if the church announces something for two months or three months, which is our average lead time, then it is your responsibility. And yet, the funny thing is, we often get feedback of our church members in this body who tell us we're so angry we didn't know. No one told us. Well, yes, we have. But that is indicative of the human perspective. We push the problem on someone else. But the Bible is very clear. They would not listen. You know, when we talk about the pitfall of not listening, there is no progression falling into the pit. You're either inside or not. You either listen or do not listen. There's no partial listening. You're either responsible for what you hear or you didn't hear it because you didn't want to hear it. As I was thinking about listening this week, I came across or I came up with four reasons why I believe we don't listen to God's word. And there could be more, but these were the four things that I came up with. Four reasons why we don't listen to God's word. The first is because we are simply disinterested. We don't care. It doesn't concern us. It doesn't affect me. I don't listen because it's for someone else. I don't care about the teachings of the Word of God because I'm a pretty good person already. What you're talking about, Pastor, doesn't concern me. So we selectively listen only to the things which concern us. And the sad part is, most of us think too highly of ourselves. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm perfect. 
And so, you know what? If I'm pretty good and I'm perfect, then I don't need to listen to anything because it's not going to help me in any way. We choose not to listen when it doesn't concern us. I remember a story told by Steve Vordenberg. He tells a story of an elderly gentleman who had a serious hearing problem for a number of years. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor was able to have him fitted with a set of hearing aids that allowed this old man to hear 100% clear with clarity. A month later, this old man returned for a checkup, and the doctor said to him, Sir, your hearing is perfect. Your family must really be pleased that you can hear again. The gentleman replied to the doctor, Oh, no, doc. I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversations. They don't know I can hear them. And I hear them talking about me. And you know what, doc? I've changed my will three times. We only listen to that which concerns us. And if we don't humble ourselves, nothing concerns us. And so we tune out. A second reason why we do not listen to God's word is because the sounds of this world drown out the very one voice we need to listen to, the important voice of the word of God. If I had all of you, perhaps, as an experiment, read a passage from an important piece of literature from around the world, some of you were to read Shakespeare, some of you were to read uh, Wentworth, some of you were to read um, whatever other authors. So I gave all of you a piece of literature to read. And if I had one person read the Word of God, and I had every one of you read at the same time, you know what we would have? We would have a mess. A concophony of sound where no one would be able to discern anything because all the other sounds drowned out the reading of the most important piece of literature, the Word of God. We don't listen because there's just too many sounds and we don't tune it out. I often hear the Word of God most clearly, not in my office, but while driving in traffic without the radio on, where there's nothing to distract me and no phone calls, no conversations, no one knocking in my office. And there I invite the Lord to speak to me and for me simply to listen. And you know, it's amazing in that time of quietness, God brings to mind things He's been trying to say to me. But now, at that moment, I have the clarity of mind to actually hear it. And that's the problem for a lot of us. We hear the sounds of so many things. The world is noisy. And in this multimedia generation, where we've always got two things stuck between our ears, and where we've not practiced the spiritual discipline of silence, no wonder we do not listen to God's word. Do you remember the words of young Samuel when he was, shall we say, interning in the temple? And he began to hear his name amidst the noise of the temple. And he asked his mentor, Eli, what should I do? I think I hear my name. 
And you remember what Eli told him in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10? He said, next time, Samuel, you hear that, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is what? He's listening. And there, as God spoke to young Samuel, he heard it with clarity. I wonder how many of us pray that every day. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But he's trying to get through the noise of all the other things that is being picked up by your ear. And then we complain, Lord, how come you're not speaking? Well, he is. But it's being drowned out by the sounds of the world. The third reason we don't listen is that not only are there other distracting sounds, but thirdly, because we are not forced to choose to hear God's word through a focused, intentional desire on our part. You see, sometimes it's just not the cacophony of sounds. Sometimes it's on us in that even in the silence that we have, we don't choose to focus on hearing the voice of God. Robert Heron, in describing focusing on listening to your wife, says this, Good listening is like tuning in a radio station. For good results, you can only listen to one station at a time. Trying to listen to my wife while looking over an office report is like trying to receive two radio stations at the same time. I end up with distortion and frustration. Listening requires a choice of where I place my attention. To tune into my partner, I must choose first to put away all that will divide my attention. That means laying down a newspaper, moving away from the dishes in the sink, putting down the book I'm reading, setting aside my projects. I like what he says there. Listening requires a choice of where I place my attention. You know, it's just not silence. Well, Lord, it's silent. I'm waiting. But it is to listen with a desire to hear his voice. It's listening with an active mind as we meditate on the word of God. We choose to listen to certain things. And so we choose to listen to God's voice through his word. Listening is an act of the will. We know that. Do you choose to listen to God? The fourth reason we don't listen is simply because we listen to the wrong voice. We listen to what we want to listen to, and yet we listen to the wrong voice. We listen to things which prick our ears when there is constructive criticism, when there is bad news. We don't want to listen to that. Bertrand Russell is reputed to have said that one reason Hitler lost World War II was that he did not fully understand the situation. What did Hitler do? If someone brought him bad news, they would be punished. And soon no one dared to tell him the truth. And because he didn't know the truth, he could not act appropriately. Perhaps this was the case of Manasseh as well. No one dared to tell him that what he was doing was evil. What he was doing was wrong, and so it spiraled out of control. And yet there were prophets of God who came and dared to rebuke him, but the Bible says he chose not to listen to them. Is that the case in our spiritual life? 
For the Word of God rebukes us, challenges us, corrects us. But in the pride of our heart, we choose not to listen. And so we listen to the other voice that tells us we're pretty good. That's another reason why we do not listen to the Word of God. Regardless of the reason for his not listening, King Manasseh would learn the consequences of what happens when he falls into the pitfall of not listening. Look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. You know, it's almost shocking from one verse, verse 10, that tells us he did not listen, to the next verse, immediately the consequences of not listening, the Lord used the Assyrians to capture Manasseh. And what did they do? The Bible tells us they put hooks. And at that time, they put hooks through one's nose. It wasn't an ornamental nose piercing. Literally, it was a hook like they would put in the cows and the bulls. And what did they do? They would attach a chain to the hook of the nose. And the Bible tells us they dragged him like an animal to the city of Babylon with his nose hook. It must have hurt. You know, when I read verse 11, I kind of felt sorry for King Manasseh. Some of you, as you read this, may feel sorry for him. Thinking, how could a loving and merciful God be so cruel? That's what I thought. He just didn't listen. And now he's being dragged by his nose ring. But then I realize I'm putting myself in his shoes because, like him, I also do not listen. But I don't want the consequences that he endured. But then if you step back and ask yourself, was it right for God to do this? The answer is yes. You see, if you warn the same people over and over and over again the same thing, would you feel sorry for them if they still didn't obey you and listen to you and receive the consequence and punishment you would say they deserved it. You know this. If you're a parent or a teacher or you are an employer, you tell your employees over and over and over, if you continue to do this, this is your consequence. But then those warnings are ignored and therefore the consequences are enacted. I'm sure you wouldn't feel sorry. You see, there are consequences to not listening to God. And those consequences are severe. If you're familiar with law, you will understand that ignorance of the law is no excuse. You may say, well, I didn't know. Well, guess what? You didn't read the Word of God. Whose responsibility is it? It's yours. God's Word is clear. Ignorance of the law, ignorance of what God expects out of your life is no excuse 
for when you receive the consequences of not listening. And in verse 11, the chronicler immediately shocks us. He did not listen, and this is what happens. Cause and effect. And my friends, this should be very clear to you. When you choose not to listen, you will experience severe consequences. Look what happens to Manasseh in verse 12 and 13. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Bible tells us that Manasseh humbled himself and asked God for forgiveness. And God listened and brought him back to Jerusalem. Now you have to ask yourself the question, what changed? What circumstance changed that caused Manasseh now to listen to God when unlike before he said he would not listen? And that change is in the first part of verse 12. When he was in affliction. You know, it's true. Our ears often perk up and we pay attention when we are in distress, when we are hurt, or when we need something. You know, you know this to be true, especially uh, if you are a parent. When do your children listen to you the most? When they need something from you. Or when they are being disciplined and you have taken away their beloved iPad and you have it in your hand and you ask them the question, are you going to listen to me now or you'll never see this again? And I bet you 99% of your children all nod their heads. Yes, we're listening. Why? Because they're in distress. They need something. We listen when we're in distress. When we're in trouble, and we need something. I remember many years ago when I went uh, white river rafting in Colorado. A bunch of 20-year-olds, single guys, we were excited to conquer the rapids. But before we could uh, get into our raft and uh, conquer those uh, class 3, class 4 rapids, we had to go through a boring orientation. And it was so boring. We didn't want to go through it. Yeah, we know what we're doing. It's not that hard. Just paddle. There at that orientation, they were telling us we needed to wear our helmets. That's, here's what the helmet is for. Here are some safety rules. This is what happens when your raft flipped o- flips over. This is the things you should do. And it goes on and on, about an hour and a half of orientation. And in, in, in a 20-year-old young man's mind, all you're hearing is, yeah, yeah, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. You have no idea what they're saying. The only thing in our mind was, let's get on with it. Let's go to the water. We didn't hear a thing. And so we got our gear and we jumped into our raft and we were enjoying uh, rafting down the Colorado River. And guess what? Our raft hit a rock and it flipped. And all of us were thrown into the raging river, struggling against the current, I thinking I would die until I was able to grab onto a tree limb. And there, as someone saw that our raft had flipped, was yelling instruction 
from the riverbank of what we needed to do, what I needed to do. And I'll tell you what. When I was clinging onto that tree branch for my life, I was listening to every single word that man was yelling from that riverbank. You know what he was yelling? He was giving me the same instruction that they had given at the orientation for what happens if your raft flips over. You know, go down the river feet first, try to swim against the current, perpendicular, things like that. But boy, did those instructions bring great clarity when you are in time of distress. I think that's what happened to Manasseh. He now clearly heard the word of God. And perhaps he remembered that which his father had taught him. Where God's word talks about those who depart from him can return to him in humility and repentance. And that's exactly what he did. The Bible tells us in verse 12, he humbled himself, listened to God's word, and repented. And by doing so, he gained salvation. Manasseh was led out of captivity and took his place back as king over Judah. He learned a lesson, a lesson we all need to learn. That when we listen with humility, it results in our salvation for our benefit. When we listen with humility, it results in our salvation for our benefit. Listening to God's word is for our good. The closer we are to God, the clearer we can hear him. James chapter 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at the end of verse 13. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh's life changed when he began to know that the Lord was God. You see, we listen carefully when we acknowledge the authority of the person who is speaking. We mentioned this two weeks ago about a healthy fear of the Lord. When we have a healthy fear of the Lord... And we acknowledge and know the God that is speaking to us. Then we listen to him. It is because many of us have a very low view of God that we don't often listen to him. As parents, you know this. Often my children will run up to me and ask me to adjudicate their fights, to settle their fights. Often it's my youngest one, my daughter, who will come up to me and tell me that they're her two older brothers are picking on her and she tells me daddy you need to come and you need to tell them to stop fighting with me and I'm usually pretty busy and I tell her I don't have time why don't you just tell them to stop it and her reply they won't listen to me but they will listen to you why because I'm the one in authority it's as simple as that when we respect someone, when we are in awe of someone, when we recognize who he is, then we listen to them or else we just take them for granted. So I want you to think about this. The God of the universe who created you, the God who holds life in his hands, our life, that with the snap of his proverbial finger, we would drop dead. This is the God who is omniscient, omnipresent, 
He's just. He's righteous. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He's all-seeing. This is the God who tells us to do certain things. And you know how many of us are like uh, responding to that? Many of us just kind of fold our hands and put up our feet and say, Okay, God, thanks for your suggestion. I think I'll maybe listen to a part of it. Something wrong with that picture. When the God of the universe, the omniscient one, omnipresent, omnipotent one, in all his majesty, tells us to do something, we better listen. When Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So it is in our lives when we come finally to the epiphany of knowing that the Lord is God, then we will learn to listen to him more carefully. When Manasseh was restored to his position in Jerusalem, this is what he did, verse 14 to 17. After this, he built the wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel. And he raised it to a very great height. It means he expanded the city of Jerusalem. Then he put military captains on all the fortified cities of Judah. Note this, verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thanks offerings on it. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrifice on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. What Manasseh did was he reversed his wicked ways. Because now he knew whom to listen to. And God's word were very clear about how worship was to take place. And that's why he removed the worship of the false gods, the Canaanite deities, and he cleansed the temple and he consecrated it and commanded, verse 16, the people to worship the one true God. What you're seeing here is something we all need to cultivate. A listening that results in right action. A listening that results in right action. When we listen, it should result in an action. Listening without action is a useless task. It's both frustrating to the one who gives the instruction, and it's useless to the one who hears simply an audible sound. You know, it's like you telling your spouse or your children, hurry up, hurry up, we don't want to be late, don't be late, don't be late. Do you hear me? We don't want to be late. And they answer, yes, we hear you. But if they don't make any effort to change, then you will still be late. And so your words have fallen on deaf ears. It is useless. It's the same thing with listening to the word of God every week. Or through your own personal study in God's word. No proper action means it is a useless endeavor. And you've heard me say this before. If you come to church and listen to the word of God, and don't walk away with a desire to transform, to change, or to do something, then you've wasted your time. And I don't want to waste your time. A listening that results in action, but it is a listening that results in right action. What you do must correspond 
with what you have heard. I remember a story of a Chinese businessman. He was entertaining his guest from England. And so this Chinese businessman brought his English associate to a traditional Chinese dinner. Each time the Chinese businessman lifted his glass, he said to his British associate, Kanpei, and if you're not familiar with that term, that simply means cheers. Kanpei, Kanpei. The Englishman, unfamiliar with this, was stunned, but he remained silent and he continued eating. But it kept recurring throughout the entire meal. Each time the Chinese businessman wanted to drink, he would exclaim, Kanpei, Kanpei. Finally, in frustration, uh, this British businessman put down his utensils and said aloud to his Chinese associate, Okay, it's all right if you can't pay. I will pay. Now shut up and let me eat. Listening clearly without fully understanding the implications of what action you are to take also doesn't amount to much. It is listening coupled with right action. Because that's the problem of so many Christians. They listen and they give to the Lord a perfunctory sort of simple change that really doesn't amount to much. Listen so that you can do what is right. Now look how the chronicler closes the life of Manasseh in verse 18 to 20. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed are they written in the book of the kings of Israel, also his prayer and how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass, and the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosei. So Manasseh rested with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. In the concluding statements of the life of Manasseh, I want you to notice something, something that the chronicler emphasized again, something he mentioned earlier in verse 13, but now he mentions again in verse 19. It was that King Manasseh offered up prayer and God received his prayer. It simply means that God listened to Manasseh. I think what the chronicler is ending this section with is to remind us that even though God expects us to listen to him, it's important to remember that he listens to us. He doesn't have to, especially all the times we don't listen to him. But yet every time we offer to him our prayers, he listens with grace and with mercy. In fact, we are pretty demanding. We expect God to listen to us all the time. You better listen to us, God. Here's my prayers. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Are you listening? Okay, uh, here's more. I need this, I need this, I want this, I want this. More? Okay, I want this, I want this, I want good health, this and that. And then, 
as he listens, as the Bible says, to everything. Then he says, my turn. Will you listen to what I've said? It must be so disappointing to him when we say, okay, when we have time. If he does not tire of listening to us, we should not tire of listening to him. In fact, when the world cried out looking for someone to save them, God heard. God was listening. And he acted upon those cries for help with the only right action that could save us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He sent his only begotten son when he listened to our cries for help. And because Jesus Christ was sent to die for us, we have salvation. But you remember when Jesus was here on earth? And as he was being transfigured, he was showing the three disciples in his inner circle who he truly was. As he was being glorified and Moses and Elijah appeared, the Bible tells us in all the Gospels, a voice came out of the clouds saying, Remember what was said? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There it is. The command of the heavenly father to the cries of the people who needed a savior. And when the savior was sent, the father told the world, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so when we remember what Christ did for us on the cross, what we are called to do in this life, it's so simple. The instructions of God the Father. Listen to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. It is a good reminder to me, one who is so busy, and even in my role as a pastor, I forget to listen to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive all of us who have fallen into the pitfall of not listening. And I pray that you would challenge us to take away all the other sounds that drown out your voice. And to read the word of God. To hear clearly what you desire. That we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, as many do. And we follow the instruction that the Father gave to listen to the Son. And live out our lives in accordance with what Jesus spoke about. I pray that you would cultivate our church to be a church that knows how to actively listen. And as we listen... We take the right actions for what you speak into our hearts so that we can change this world for your glory. Bless us now as we come to a time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.